Your eyes do not deceive you. New artwork, a new name. Welcome to On the Path, a podcast dedicated to all things Witcher. And look who has joined us. Who is that out there? Hello, hello. It is Lucy. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Brett, for inviting me to join you on this. Um, I know I joined you about a month ago to speak about Nightmare of the Wolf, and I'm so pleased you've asked me to stay. Um, so thank you, first of all. Well, no, I'm pleased because after, I don't know, two and a half years of doing it on my own, uh, you're taking a lot of the pressure off. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. And there's only so much I can like just talk and hear my own voice. And it's like, no, need something else. But no, I'm ecstatic to have you here. Uh, your perspective on all things Witcher. And we are going to start with this main story, quest by quest, of The Witcher 3. It's going to take a long time because this game's pretty long. Did, yeah. you, did you notice that? I Yeah, I did. And um, even like the first chunk that we're looking at today, I was sort of trying to um, go over it today, just like look through the game. And it's it's quite long, even the pro what would be considered the prologue of the game. It's quite chunky. Yeah, this is we're going to do the prologue today, and it's five quest names, if you want to call it that. And in mm. reality, we might even have been able to break this up into two, but I'm like, we can do we can do the prologue in one. But I looked to next week, when we actually start the main story, and I'm like, I don't think we can do more than three, because there's so much, and they hit so quickly. Yeah. So it's a very dense game, but... We're going to cover everything, which are obviously when the show comes out, which the show comes out next month. Can you believe that? I know. It's so soon. It's probably like, is it one month today or tomorrow? Is it 17th, the 17th? I think it, it is. 17th? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. So one month. Okay. Yeah. I, that, it, I don't know. I think COVID. Are you looking forward to it? I know, I know there was, you had a few uh, mixed opinions on the first series, but you're looking forward to it, right? I'm very much looking forward to it because the main thing is with the showrunner, Lauren Hessrich. I said that correctly, didn't I? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think I think that's how she pronounced it in like the Witcher Con. Yeah, it, this is the first show she's ever show run that she's ever been in charge of. So last season was the first time she did it, and it seemed to me like so many of the writers also they seem very young. Yeah, and so I think it's one of those they've got it under their belt. Everything that they've said has been it, it's been good. You know, I think a lot of the problems that people had that I had, they seem to kind of you know hit on those. And I also just think, I hope they do more original stuff. Like, I don't want yeah. it to just be by the book. Like, I, we have the books. Mm -hmm. I know what that is. Like, I hope they throw some new things in there. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I remember we talked about last time, one of our favorite pieces of series one was the whole Yennefer backstory, which I think is completely original. Um, so to see more stuff like that would be amazing. Yeah, no, I it, it's exciting. And... We kind of get into that uh, a little bit here. It's in the same way with a set of projects in their adaptation of The Witcher 3. It's they did a lot of their own things, but they took a lot of it from what I believe to be love of the books. And so I, yeah. I do believe that the showrunners, everybody in there, they, they love what they're doing. They're not just doing this for the hell of it. You know, they're not going through the motions and being mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a paycheck. Like, I believe they're trying their best. And yeah, I, I literally, I just thought about it again and I, I can't believe it's mid-November and- I know, it, it's, it's crazy. It, it, time is, going back to timelines there, time is stupid. I don't like it. I don't like time. I know. Yeah. So yeah, that, COVID has just made time seem like an even more a weird thing. It slowed it down and now it's just accelerated exponentially. Yeah. But we'll uh, we'll get into time um, when we spin off to, uh, I guess, a time traveler philosophy podcast. Uh, but we are not here for that somewhat. We are here to discuss The Witcher 3. Let's get into it. So we start off with this opening CGI realistic cinematic. And it's right off the bat with Yennefer in the middle of a Nilfgaardian charge. And Geralt and Vesemir, Vesemir are hot on her trail. <laughs> And this, when I first saw this, and it's kind of why when I thought about an adaptation of The Witcher, something like this I think would be really good because you can use a lot of the fantastical elements, but mm -hmm. you still kind of have that realistic aspect of it. No, I agree. I love the opening of this um, scene. I think you get like quite a nice insight into the characters as well. Like For someone like me who... I had watched the Netflix series at this point, I think, but I was still a bit, I, I wasn't really sure what The Witcher was. 
you get quite a nice insight of um, who Geralt is. You can tell he's a tracker. He's on, like you said, him and uh, Vesemir are on the trail of Yennefer. You get a quick insight into what Yennefer's like. She's a powerful sorceress. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. The whole re- the more it's more realistic looking than the actual game itself as well. And this is something I think is going to be fun. Is you came into this game, you watched the series, and then you played the game, right? That's right. Yeah. So I watched the series when it originally came out, which would be like two years ago now. I think I watched. Yeah, I watched it once through, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't really get it. And then when I started streaming, I think I mentioned that, and then I played the game, which is what kind of got me really, really into it, which led to a second watch through of the Netflix series, which I obviously understood a lot more. And then sort of grew to really love it. Okay. And good. And that's exactly what I want to see with like different perspectives. Cause when I first played the game, it was stone cold. Like I didn't read the books before. Oh, all, really? Yeah. Oh, all I heard about like nonstop was how great this game was. Like I didn't play The Witcher 3 until right before Hearts of Stone was released because okay. everything, oh, it's the most amazing game ever. And finally, I just was like, okay, I guess I got to play this game instantly from the get go. I was like, okay, well, I guess they were right about this. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where the hype was real. Coming out of it was I liked that Yen was like right here. Something I was going to ask you about, because I know you have played The Witcher 1 and 2 as well. And in our notes here, you said that she's uh, she's not in the first two games. I, I didn't even realize that. So is she not is she not even mentioned in the first two games? For some reason, I think she might have been mentioned... Yeah. In one of them. But a big thing about those first two games was they gave Geralt amnesia. And oh, yeah. That's kind of why I think that was their way to not have Yennefer and not have Ciri was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I got amnesia. And then he rode with like the Wild Hunt, which we'll kind of talk of later. But yeah, and it's almost where this game to me is almost whoever was in charge of this understood the books and understood what they were about. Because it is insane mm-hmm. to me to think about that they made two full games and they don't have what amounts to the second and third most important characters like from the books. Because yeah. I know you haven't finished them. That's the whole thing of the books are, yet Geralt's the main character. But mm-hmm. his wife, if you want to call it that, life partner, whatever, is essentially Yennefer. Yeah. And their daughter is Ciri. And like mm-hmm. this was just something, and that's the whole point of this game. Like instantly, Geralt's looking for Yennefer. And as soon as we find Yennefer... Yennefer's looking for Siri, and then like that's the whole yeah. thing. I'm like, okay, well that that's a big part of the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like a trio. That's why, like, whenever we start Witcher three, you you seem like you're kind of plopped into the middle of a story almost. You know, you've already got this kind of background of he's looking for Yennefer, and then she's looking for Siri. So obviously, there's stuff that's happened before, which I kind of assumed would have been the story of Witcher two or Witcher one, with that not being the case. It seems, yeah, it definitely seems a bit odd, but you know it was definitely the right decision bringing those characters in to witcher 3 because it's like what the story's all about isn't it it's not just about Geralt like Siri takes so much of the story as books go on and you know we're kind of putting the cart before the horse here (laughs) but we can (laughs) play a Siri we'll get to that part in the next episode she's the chosen one you know the chosen one Mm -hmm. isn't Geralt it's not the person we've been with forever the chosen one is Siri. Geralt dreams of Siri and Kaer Morin as I kind of rewatch this, it's a lot of blood of elves energy as it's little Siri, and she's training, she's doing all the pirouettes, and I think that was in one of the clips from the upcoming season, wasn't it? Yeah, so I quite liked um, that bit in the trailer for series two. You see Geralt and Siri. Well, I think you see Geralt mainly training on those, um, and I love that because that's what we we sort of see here in this uh, in this dream as well. We see Siri training. Uh, with the blindfold on and everything. Yeah, that's that's the fun part of training. The not yeah. fun part of training is when Vesemir is asleep reading Ghouls and Al Ghouls. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what Siri was supposed to be reading. <laughs> so we do that. Oh, and I kind of forgot to put, of course, Yennefer. He, his dream, he's dreaming of Yennefer. Geralt bathtub. Like, how could we not mention uh, Geralt in the bathtub? And that, is that a manticore? That, like, scorpion-looking thing? What goes into the bath? Yeah, yeah I wasn't sure what that was. I always think... If it's if it looks like a scorpion and we're in a fantasy setting, I'm like, okay, I think that's no, it's not a manticore. Manticore's got the lion. Yeah, that's a manticore. Wait, what? Ah, uh, okay, I don't know what that is. Either way, big fake looking scorpion. scorpion. Looking yeah, yeah, goes in there. 
Uh, they're together. They're in love. So you know it's got to be a dream, right? If Geralt and Yennefer are, you know, not at odds and they're all happy. Just getting along. <laughs> yeah, they're getting along. It's been along. a nice time. <laughs> this is very much like not even Blood of Elves because they weren't together. Yeah, there's not much that that happens. I guess early sort of destiny uh, in that book is when they were actually like that. And so they're they're training. Siri lops the head off uh, or something in that sense and goes to get it. And Geralt kind of sees something under the dummy, and it's the Wild Hunt. And what did yeah. you think of when you first, like, saw this? I was sort of confused. I, d I didn't really know going into the game who was going to be the bad guy as such. I didn't know if it was just going to be a monster hunting game and there was just going to be monsters, or if there was going to be someone like Amir, who was just a human antagonist. It was sort of like, oh, there's some sort of otherworldly aspect to this. Because they, they arrive in, like, a boat which was weird because it was like a boat coming over Caramorhan. So yeah, it definitely sort of makes you think, okay, there's a whole other aspect to this, which I'm, I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the Wild Hunt are in the first two games. I don't think they're in series one of the Netflix show, so I hadn't really had any uh, exposure to it yet. Yeah, they should be in this upcoming season. I'm trying not to look yeah. at spoilers or anything leaked at all. But I yeah, did same. see, so, well, if anybody out there was not wanting to be spoiled or leaked, oops. There <laughs> is footage of the Wild Hunt. And it's kind yeah. of why I thought the last episode of the season, which I still don't know is named yet, I kind of think that's going to be the way they end the season, is introducing them and being like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Who is this, like, spectral, skeletal army? And yeah, I, I was... so bizarre. Yeah, and I was with you on the Wild Hunt aspect, because I knew nothing about it. Like, I hadn't seen mm. anything. And when it said Wild Hunt... And it's, you know, the only footage I've seen was him taking down, I think it was the Griffin. I'm like, oh, Wild Hunt, he must just be like a hunter and going to mm. kill these animals. And I think that's why I wasn't drawn to the game was like, I don't want to go around just killing these animals. So I don't know, maybe that was me just in my vegetarian <laughs> stage, which I, which I was in, which was hard to play Skyrim as a vegetarian. I tried to do that. Was it? Yeah, I did. I was like, because at the time I tried to be, I tried to do it for like a couple of weeks. And then I was like, that's too goddamn hard. <laughs> I like so meat too. You're not much. a vegetarian anymore. Oh, not at all. It lasted. It lasted like a week or two, and uh -huh. I was like, I'm too lazy to eat. It's hard, isn't it? I was. I did. Um, maybe two years ago, I think I did. What's it called? Veganuary, where you're a vegan for January. Oh, yeah. And that was so hard, and it takes so much effort. Like I have a lot of respect for people who are vegan because you have to think about things so much. You have to read the labels on everything. It's just like it's a it's a lot of work. So you did vegan for a month. The vegan was never an option because I like eggs. Like I like eggs yeah. way too much. They're easy to do. My thing is I have a very high metabolism and mm. I'm, you know, I try to stay athletic playing and coaching sports. And I just, it was like when I went low carb, I was like, I have no energy and I yeah. just, it's whatever. Yeah. But no, it is all respect to people that can do that because it would be a lot better if we didn't, I guess, commercial farming and all that or commercial meat packing is, uh, is not good. No. Yeah. It's not good, but I don't know. I'm lazy. So I guess that's the American in me, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, this is <laughs> no, bad. <laughs> this, this is bad. bad, but it's also really nice. So. But it's really nice and uh, it makes me feel good. So yeah, there you go. USA. Okay. So our second quest is Lilac and Gooseberries. So Gerald awakens and discusses with Vesemir that they are two to three days behind Yennefer's trail in northern Temeria and they're to meet in the town of Willoughby near Vizima. Um, I quite like this bit because I think you sort of start to learn about the relationship between Geralt and Vesemir. Um, I think Vesemir kind of gives Geralt a little bit of stick about the letter that Yennefer's left because i think she mentions like the unicorn and stuff doesn't she what's this postscript i still have the unicorn stuffed unicorn used it once or twice certain situations mm. the things young folk get up to these days back on topic and as they speak um along the road we get a lot of exposition here as a Vesemir sort of makes it clear that they are on the side of the northern realms in the in the war which I remember thinking about whenever I started playing the game I remember from the series that Geralt says you know evil is evil I would rather not choose at all 
So to hear Vesemir very clearly state that they are on the side of the Northern Realms and Radovid, I was kind of confused by that. Um, and even Geralt seems a little bit sceptical of, of Radovid's intentions, I think. Yeah, he's a, he's a shithead. <laughs> Radovid. <laughs> Radovid the Stern. When your nickname's the Stern, uh, <laughs> yeah, that you're going to be. And I'm going to try not to, like, every time be like, well, the first time I did it the second time. But this is like a retrospective. And it completely yeah. changes. I don't remember that, but you're right. When I heard him say that, I'm like, a big running gag is Geralt and the neutrality thing because he's never really neutral. And that's no. that's the lesson he learned from Renfrey was, I mean, if you're going to be neutral and stand aside, you're going to be on the side of the aggressors and you're going to yeah. choose their side. And if he was neutral during the Renfrey in Blaviken, then he would have been essentially on their side because they would have slaughtered everybody. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah it, for Vesemir to come out and say, like, yeah, we want the Northern Realms, I was. I was kind of taken aback that this Nilfgaardian invasion is kind of bad for everybody. Yeah, I guess it's sort of, if you hear Vesemir so clearly side with with the Northern Realms, you sort of automatically think, okay, so Nilfgaard must be bad. We're thrown almost directly into the political aspect because this is war-torn area uh, one of the side quests that stood out to me was the missing in action side quest and it's this one has always stayed with me because it must have been one of the first ones that i did and it's a very simple one Geralt comes across this local who's like hey my brother was fighting can you go find his body amongst this battlefield and there's all these rotting corpses and the oh, ghouls right. and everything's yeah. there yeah and he's just hey can you find my brother and so eventually they come to this this little shack and yeah. in the shack is his brother who was gravely wounded and can't move and a Nilfgaardian soldier. And so the, the guy comes in and is just like, oh, Nilfgaard, uh, no, no, we, we need to leave him. The guy's like, no, he saved my life and I mm -hmm. kind of like helped him. We can't leave him. He's a deserter. They're going to hang him. And then the brother's like, well, they're going to hang us if they catch us with him because you can decide like not nah, leave him or tell the mm -hmm. guy to take it with him. Do you remember what you chose? I don't remember actually. I'm I'm pretty sure I have only played this quest once. Um, I've done two playthroughs of the game now, and I don't actually remember what I picked in that one. Do you? Yeah, I. It's to me, it's it seems pretty like straightforward. It'd be kind of shitty to leave the Nilf Guardian there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, because he saved the guy and he deserted. But it's another thing here. They're putting in not all Nilf Guardians are bad. But mm -hmm. but making him a deserter and helping out this Temerian and this local is to me kind of saying that Nilfgaard's bad. Like they're invading, like they're an invading army. They're supposed to be bad, right? You hear a lot of the people talking in this area about how the Nilfgaardians have come and hanged their families and done loads of really awful things. So yeah, I think they're definitely the aggressors in this situation. So on the road, a griffin attacks a merchant and our heroes save the day. He directs them to a relative in White Orchard who can help them out with finding Yennefer. Uh, so this is how we end up at the tavern in White Orchard. And Gerald speaks to the patrons as Vesemir uh, patches up the wound that he got from the griffin. Uh, so we end up speaking to, I think, three different groups of people. Is that right? I believe so. So one of them, I think he seems to be like a writer. He wants to write about the war and he offers to teach us how to play Gwent, which admittedly in my first playthrough, I swiftly ignored. I think I think a lot of people did. But yeah, this is an yeah. uh, associate professor of history at uh, right. Oxenford. Because I remember that stuck out because I'm like, oh, hey, history guy. And then he wants mm -hmm. to play this card game. And I'm like, all right, never mind. All right, no, yeah. I'm not playing this goddamn card game. But that was the first playthrough. The second playthrough was, I'm going to get every Gwent card. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, everybody seems to be the I know. same. It's, it's so, so funny. Weird. The second person we speak to, weirdly, is Gaunter Odim. Another thing in your second playthrough that completely blew my mind when I came back to it after playing Hearts of Stone. And Gaunter is the one who actually ends up having some information on Yennefer. The other group of people that we speak to are just... Uh, I like it in the notes we have, asshole locals. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who all just seem to hate witchers. Uh, Geralt and Vesemir seem to just have eyes on them as soon as they walk in anywhere, and they're not friendly. Yeah, and that's a tale as old as time. And again, goes back to them making this game out to be so accessible to everybody. 
that you don't need to have played The Witcher 1 or The Witcher 2 or know anything about it. It's just very clear. They're just like, oh, freak. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's literally the very first thing in the very first book is the Zemans, actually. So Tamarians being like racist to Geralt because he has a Rivian accent. <laughs> Are you oh, supposed yeah, to be racist right. to be eth- uh, kingdomist or whatever? Nationist, <laughs> whatever they call it. <laughs> yeah. And so going back to Gauntra, though, that I did not think of that at all. I didn't remember that guy at all no, when I played it. But like you said, when you on the replay after Hearts of Stone, it's like, holy shit, it's Gaunter. And he's yeah. laying the groundwork, saying like, well, there might be a time when I need some help and you come around. Damn, they really thought that shit ahead. I know, it really, like, whenever something like that happens, I'm like annoyed at myself for how obvious it is. Yeah. And then you end up going back and you're like, damn, you guys are clever. Because it is so obvious, because he knows who Yennefer is. And it's just, yeah. why, why would he know who Yennefer is unless he was somebody... You're going to know who Yen is if you're involved in politics, in any kind of mm. kingdom politics, you're going to know. And like Geralt is so famous at this point, you're going to know who Geralt is if you kind of pay attention to continental pop culture is what it would be just because of Dandelion and, you know, all of that <laughs> and just how famous they'd be and how long they've lived also. Because, you know, games wise, they should be pushing 90 some odd years, I believe. Uh, I think so, 100 yeah. if they're doing like the book canon. Gaunter being there and the stuff he says it is on a replay is just beating you over the head. Okay, yeah, this guy <laughs> knows more than he's leading on. He's not, this is not a random chance encounter. But then I think in the main story, we we don't see him again, do we? Until Hearts of Stone. Yeah, no. Oh, no. Well, Unless it's like an Easter egg. Is it like an Easter yeah. egg, maybe? Mm. I don't know. So that- then you obviously just forget about him. And then he becomes such a big thing in Hearts of Stone. Oh, yeah, he he doesn't mean anything. And then, obviously, he's the antagonist of Hearts uh-huh. of Stone, which I know if we're going to be doing this, Hearts of Stone is probably like a year away <laughs> or something. <laughs> but that's another one of those, oh, man, I could talk about Hearts of Stone forever. I can't wait to play that again. Like, I've only done one playthrough of Hearts of Stone, and I'm getting towards the end of um the main quest now on my second playthrough, and I honestly just can't wait to do Hearts of Stone again. Yeah, I I just did somewhat recent of it, and it's, yeah, it's again, it's another one of those things that it's it's almost perfect in the sense mm. of from, like, the story-wise, it's also, it's not drawn out at all. Like, I think yeah. game-wise, it's might be eight to ten hours of playtime, I want to say, maybe, for the main story. I think but so. It just, it every everything makes sense. You get Shawnee in there, like, they introduce another old book character, and it's it's so good but we'll get there again we'll get there in 2023 or something (laughs) (laughs) something along uh, those lines so gaunter leads us on on a hot tip to the nilfgaardian garrison just to the north where the commander peter svarguinleve treats a local fairly by saying hey Give less than what they've offered. You know, I have peasant hands, farming hands, and so do you. And when I say giving, what do you call it? Reappropriating this? Stealing it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're an invading army and saying, hey, people we've just conquered, you're going to give grain, barley, and rye. But, again, you're going up, oh, this invading army. This guy seems very reasonable, and he's not some elitist. He's saying he's a farmer. And so, again, I think this is another thing where we're supposed to just be somewhat confused or disarmed that this Mm -hmm. isn't just some marauding invader who's like hanging people right here yeah this is this was another thing that threw me off completely because up until now we've just kind of heard especially in the in the inn where we were previously uh we hear people talking about how the north guardians have been hanging families and you're kind of expecting to meet this kind of horrible man and like you say he he speaks to this farmer on like a really personal level and says you know we're similar you know only offer what you can um and yeah he just seems like a a decent guy and then even later on when Geralt is speaking to the herbalist he also says he seems like a decent man so we're led to believe that he's he's okay which is contrary to what we've been hearing so it's kind of us having to make our own minds up about people again yeah and one of the locals made the bartender take down the Temerian lilies and yeah. saying like no nah, this is Nilfgaard and that wasn't a Nilfgaardian soldier saying that that was a local 
And mm-hmm. like you're right, we're made to think they're like, oh man, they must just be really bringing down, you know, the sword on these people in return for this information because he knows where Yennefer is, straight up. But quid pro quo, Geralt must slay this griffin that he already had an encounter with back on the road with the merchant. And then he'll tell him where uh, Yennefer is. So he has to start this quest by meeting with this herbalist that you mentioned at the crossroads and this hunter uh, who can give him information about the Witcher. And I thought it was funny when he talks about Buckthorn and Peter tries to say, he's like, Buck, Buckthorn? I don't know what this is. And it's just like, oh, okay. So now they're showing they're not native. I was about to say English, but obviously there's no England, so they don't call it English. Is it just common? Uh Everybody just calls it common. Is is that what they call it? Yeah, I I should know that. Okay. Hmm. We'll call it common and then, you know, I'll get an angry tweet (laughs) saying, (laughs) "Um, it's not called common. And so he has to go to this herbalist. And another thing we get here is she's treating this person who's basically going to die. And we have the option to help this person out or just be like, well, sucks to suck. Um, So where can I get this buckthorn? (laughs) Did you you help the person out? I'm pretty sure I helped the person out. It's another thing I can't... When I watched this playthrough uh, today, just I just watched it on YouTube to refresh my memory. They didn't do all these little side bits. Um, I'm pretty sure I helped her, but I can't remember if it actually works or not because I remember the the woman says that she has like blood pooling on her brain or something, and nothing's gonna bring her back. I'm sure I did because I'm like, oh man, we should probably be nice. Mm. But like later on, I'm like, no, nah, I ain't got time. But one thing <laughs> I did try to do though is whenever I and it's kind of that not conundrum, there's probably a word for it, that you have with these massive open world games when you're trying to do something. And it's the same thing I had with Fallout 4, where in Fallout 4, very brief, no spoilers, you're either a man or a woman, your son gets kidnapped, and you're trying to find your son. That's a very urgent thing. Witcher Mm -hmm. 3 here, he's trying to find Yennefer. And it's one of those, yeah, sure, I'll go play, I'll go play Gwent. Uh, I'll do this, you know. (laughs) I'll come, I'll come do all this stuff. And it's like, no, seriously, I love the memes. It's like trying to save my daughter from the wild hunt. How about a round of questions? <laughs> like the options in there. It. Yeah. When they do the options yeah. and it's just like, I'm in a hurry there. No, how about a round of Gwent? And so it's <laughs> one of those when I first tried to play them, I'm like, no, I actually kind of want this like urgency. Mm. But then I'm like, man, it, it's, it's kind of shitty if you just really don't help this woman out, especially when the herbalist is helping you out. The next one with the hunter. And again, as you know, when I first like was playing this, like the vegetarian thing in there. Uh, you have to, don't you have to kill these wolves? Yeah, so I think it's a pack of like wild dogs yeah. are terrorizing the town and he says, uh, can you help me with these dogs first and you have to kill them, yeah. I th- I don't think there's a way around it. Yeah, and that's right, it's not wolves, it is, it's wild dogs, which kind of seems worse. I don't know, yeah. maybe, you know, actually, if, <laughs> see, if they would have said they were like rabid dogs and they had like rabies, mm. I'd be like, okay, well, we're doing them and everybody a favor. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to kill these dogs. And of course, the sound design, as you kill each one, arr, arr, and it's just like these dogs. I'm like, are y'all fucking kidding me? But I don't yeah. think you can ard your way around it. Or maybe you can. Mm. Mm. Maybe. Okay. Next playthrough, I'm going to try to <laughs> ard uh, those dogs into submission. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he gathers this bucktorn from underwater. It smells terribly and examines this site where this... Uh, female griffin was killed and this this is another thing it's funny because i would have thought about this more but i'm actually uh, when i played it first time but i thought about it more now it's a female griffin who was like there were like larvae so she was pregnant or whatever right i think so yeah and we learned from this and this was also really cool because this is what also really drew me in to this isn't just a monster slayer, lone wolf, badass. Like this guy's a detective. He's a tracker. Yeah. And you're going through all this stuff. I'm like, oh man, this is cool. I didn't know. I didn't know this is what it was going to be like. And one mm-hmm. of the things in there, he's like, griffins pair off for life when they're young. Okay. Aww. So this, this, this male griffin is just exacting revenge for his murdered partner. Yeah. He's heartbroken. Or, you know, this is a, speaking of memes. This is a, are we the baddies meme? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know they're terrorizing, they're killing people, but did they do that on purpose to mess mm. to mess with people like me that are going to overthink it? I think they do. They try and make you feel like 
morally ambiguous quite a lot in this game, I think. Especially with stuff like this, where you get set upon a task and then all of a sudden they'll throw in a curveball to make you second guess yourself. Yeah, and I, well, it, it worked on me. So, yeah. <laughs> congratulations, Set of Project Quest Designer, <laughs> for, for this one. And eventually we meet back up with Vesemir and we say, hey, it's this griffin. I don't know if this time we know it's a royal griffin until, it's, until we actually see it. Like, it's this griffin. We got to go in this field. And then Vesemir gives us a crossbow, which, again, mm -hmm. this is not from anything. It's never mentioned in a book. It's never mentioned in any other game. It's the really? first new like yes, the first new like weapon mechanic. This game to me felt always felt like a western where you're riding a horse from town to town. And yeah. I don't know if that's like how big are westerns or have westerns ever been popular in like Northern Ireland, England where you've been? It's it's difficult cuz maybe not so much a western, like an obvious western, but like the main bare bones of it being like a good guy, a bad guy. You know, a good guy going around with his white hat. White hat, black hat, Playing yeah. monsters, yeah. That sort of thing might be in, like, the bare bones of a plot, but maybe not necessarily your obvious Western. Okay, because Westerns in the United States, Westerns were massive in the 50s yeah. and 60s. And so that kind of carried over. It was a big boomer thing. And again, mm -hmm. when people like that got involved in Hollywood, they kind of come back up. And a big thing that really came back up was The Mandalorian, the TV series. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet. It's on my to-watch list. Okay. I've been getting it is... bullied by lots of people to watch it. Yeah, and it's two seasons, but the first season in early on, it is a legit Western, and that's why I fell in love with it. It yeah. is a guy going town to town who has to do jobs for people to learn more information and move on. It's exactly what the beginning of The Witcher 3 is, and mm -hmm. it's very yeah. minimalist, kind of like this, and so that's what's always drawn it to me. And so this with the crossbow is kind of like a quick draw, like a gunslinger yeah. to kind of do it. I might have stolen something like that for stories that I write mm -hmm. <laughs> of having like a crossbow like that. Did you like using the crossbow in the game? I do now. I think early on I struggled with the controls, like the mechanics to use it. But I think especially in the Royal, like in a style of a fight like the Royal Griffin, it's kind of essential almost because obviously they're flying quite a lot, so that or Ard to get them down is, you know, you can't get around it really, you have to use it. Yeah, I only used it when something like that you had to take down in those damn drowners underwater. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's the worst. They get weirdly overpowered, though. Whenever you use the, the crossbow underwater, it's like one shot. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's like very OP underwater. <laughs> it's probably because it's so, oh my god, it was so frustrating. The controls may have gotten better that they've done with updates, but when this first mm. came out, oh my god, the controls were so jank. Really? Oh, yeah. And games like Ghost of Tsushima, have you played that one? No, I haven't. I've seen a few people stream it. It's amazing also, but the, the combat is incredible. And going from that to something like this, where everything just feels janky and loose, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And so that was, a, that was a little rough to begin with. But yeah, the underwater drowners... Uh, with a crossbow is the one thing I will give me a Witcher PTSD uh, from yeah. playing. And so we take down this royal griffin, put an end to the threat, and Geralt has to go collect his reward or prize of information back at the Nilfgaardian garrison. But just when we think old Peter Svargwinleve is this nice guy and he's you know maybe easygoing conqueror, we see the other side of the coin as this peasant did not deliver the goods as promised. I guess they were rotten, and maybe yeah. not enough of them. And he orders the man flogged and whipped. Yeah, this is a weird one, because whenever you originally hear him speaking to this farmer, he's speaking to him on such a personal level, and you know he tries to relate to him. And then when he comes back with the rotten grain, or whatever it was, is it Peter? Yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter kind of recites some rules or regulations. He's like section three, blah blah blah, twenty flogs. So it's kind of like he's not—he's trying to not relate this personally at all anymore. He's just going now. I have to be by the book, and he just totally switches off from being like a relatable man and just turns into the captain that he needs to be. Yeah, and but, it, yeah. that's kind of the thing to think about too is in a way he was right. The guy said, I don't remember the exact numbers, I'll give you 30. And he's like, give me 20. What we're made to not know is could this guy have gotten the grain or could he really not mm -hmm. have? And it really does change 
you know, a perspective on it. But to me, it just it goes back to this is an invading army and yeah. they're, you know, like I said, they're taking this stuff from them and then flogging and beating them. And then you can't you have to hear it. You can hear it in the you background. Do, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, well, I had to like mute it. The rewatch here to go through it. I'm like, I'm just going to skip this part or mute it and just read the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was awful. It's rough. Yeah, it is rough. But all in all. Information, Yen is in Vizima, less than a day's ride away. Perfect. You did all that when, you know, that was it. And I do love that Geralt's like, you could have just told me that. Well, you wouldn't have slayed the Griffin. Yeah. Duh, Geralt. Well, why would he just tell you that? Like, exactly. Like, he that's needed what, something. Yeah, that's what you do. So we move on to the incident at White Orchard is where we return to the inn and pretty much straight away, Vesemir notices that the other uh, patrons of the inn are wanting to cause trouble. I think you mentioned earlier when the woman uh, working at the inn was made to bring take down the... What is it? Is it lilies? Yeah, of, the lilies. Uh, yeah, it's very lilies. Yeah. So then another woman mentions that the lilies have been taken down. So this poor woman behind the bar really can't win earlier she was forced to take them down now she's being given grief yeah. for taking them down and she gets her head slammed on the desk that was brutal quite, quite violent isn't it like yeah multiple by this other times woman. and uh vesemir steps in to help her and then obviously the other guys in the bar take that as a as a cue to start a scrap um the witchers do try and tell them you know don't do this back off uh, but obviously they end up in a in a massive fight and the witchers save the day from the bad guys but leave the rest of the people in the bar completely terrified. And this really reminded me of episode one of the Netflix series in, uh, I think it's based on the Lesser Evil story, uh, where Geralt gets his nickname, the Butcher of Blaviken. Obviously he knows that he's saved these people from the gang. Uh, but they are all scared of him and run him out of town. So that's that's what that really reminded me of there. And there's this bit where Geralt goes to pick the woman up in uh, in the White Orchard Inn and his little face when she screams, like, get away from me, his little face turns and I just felt so bad for him. That was, again, a very good introduction to the player. Like, this is, this is the Witcher's life. You're yeah. trying to help out, but on the other side of it, like, you just slaughtered what yeah. five or six peasants and i want to i want to broach this question to you because this is something i've always been into like philosophy and moral philosophy and mm -hmm. i actually wrote like this little thing and i might have recorded it like a year or two ago about moral philosophy of Geralt. and i use the very first story the witcher short story where we're introduced to Geralt, where he's in a bar like this and he slaughters like three peasants wholesale and yeah. those were like pretty much unarmed but here, my thing about it is, while these people were looking for a fight, witchers are superhuman, really super athletic. They are beyond human. And you just can't convince me that Geralt and Vesemir couldn't, I'm not saying they needed to put this in the game. They could have disarmed them. Like, they did not need to kill those oh, yeah. people. That, to me, I is the thing agree. to bring up, is that, is, 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 do you see that as wrong or suspect? I, no, I totally agree because, like you say, they're not—they're not human. They're—they and they know themselves that they are going to win that fight. Like they warn the humans that they will be able to scrap however many of them there is. There's two verses, I think, six or seven. But I totally agree. Like, and, and they even have uh, these, you know, magical abilities where they can. Um, what is it, Axi? He can literally uh, manipulate people's minds. So, in that instance rather than killing six people, would you not just sit them down and and leave? He he literally could have asked them politely, hey, will you stand shoulder to shoulder and just arted them into the corner yeah. <laughs> and like knock them out? And again, it's because these are just yokel locals and bandits. Now, in about 15, 20 seconds, when he steps outside and it's Nilfgaardian soldiers, that's yeah. a different thing. That while Geralt can take down multiple people at once, he is not a one-man army. And if you had five or six heavily armored trained soldiers, they would probably kill him. Yeah. And so it's a little yeah, bit different. but not indestructible. Yeah. And so I'm glad, you know, I wanted to hear what you thought of that because that's just one of those things that choice that they made in the story 
mm-hmm. to have Geralt do it. And I'm like, this is the hero. This is who we're playing. And he is a great guy overall. But it's stuff like this when you're just slaughtering peasants. And I'm actually really glad that the bartender kind of reacted that way. Yeah. Okay, yeah, she was getting beat up. You you just killed all of these people. And she got to clean that up too. What a pain that's going to yeah, be. Yeah, I know. That's horrendous. And she got he an- fully, Yeah, he fell on decapitated one of them as well. The money shot at the end there. It's just yeah. like, oh, well, there you go. And then and then to think of this, and again, this is where my broken brain goes, the Nilfgaardian garrison is going to hear about that. Why is this trouble in your bar? And mm. I don't know, maybe they'll just string her up to be done with it. So yeah, like you said, we then uh, exit the bar and the Nilfgaardians have shown up. And Yennefer has arrived uh, in all her glory. She lets Geralt know that Emperor Amir van Emerus, the white flame dancing on the grave of his foes, has demanded Geralt meet him in Vizima alongside her. Oh, you're gonna, you're uh, gonna, you're gonna have to try to pronounce I missed, that. Well, I've not, I've not seen this before. What I, is, is this just the same but in a different? It's in the Nilfgaardian speech. Yeah. Okay, so it's death when Aden. Yin Karn Ep Morvud. There you go. You think yeah. that was good? Yeah, there you go. Dithvin Adin and Karnet Morvud. Yeah, that's that the white flame dancing on the graves of his foes. And I think like the English translation is the barrows of his enemies, which I don't know, that sounds wow. a little bit more classy. You know, he's on the mm-hmm. barrows of his enemies. <laughs> but no, that was well, very well pronounced. But uh, Vesemir goes um, on his way back to Kermorhen and Yennefer and Geralt ride for Vizima, and this is where we get intercepted by the Wild Hunt for real this time, not a dream. Wild Hunt, again, when it when it first happened, and I love that they just, they're riding and Geralt and Yennefer just kind of talking, okay, we're going, and then like the snow slowly comes, and the chill yeah. comes in, it's just like, oh shit, that, mm-hmm. that I guess you call it like an ambiance or whatever, the atmosphere of it just yeah, becoming cold is just like, okay, something bad is really about to happen. One thing that I wanted to ask you about was when Yennefer asks Geralt, uh, or sort of tells him more more so, tells him to go to see Amir, Geralt says, last time we saw each other, he wanted to kill me. So I was wondering, does he show up in the in the first few games, or is that just a reference to something that happens in the books? Or uh, This, it's in the books, and it's massive spoiler yeah okay right okay yeah i mean obviously people who have listened to the the book podcast before they're gonna know it if you've read the books all the way through um but no it is it's a massive thing okay yeah i i'll tell you about yeah if you want to know i'll tell you about it like after the recording or whatever but no it's it's a it's it's a big deal but also it's kind of what makes this so special and so interesting but it's mm. also one of my biggest qualms. And okay. so we'll we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. And it, it can also go way down the road because we go back to Emir like a few times. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I guess that's a pretty big decision if you go back to Emir one time yeah. <laughs> uh, with somebody. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But it is, it's, it's very much, it's a big ask that it, the fact that Yen is working for Nilfgaard is a lot of people have issues with it. And yeah. I kind of do too, but she's like, it's Siri. It's all about yeah. Siri. I'm going to do anything for Siri. And it's the same thing. Like Geralt and Yen are working for Emir. If you know what happened in the books, you're like, that would never happen. It's about Siri. And it's hitting on like, no, this is the daughter. I feel like I got a lot of catching up to do with these books. <laughs> it's, it's literally at the very end, like the <laughs> last several chapters of the last book. All right, so we're at the final quest of the prologue and the final quest of this episode, Imperial Audience. Very succinct to the point. We have to get a haircut and a shave. And if we're going by canon Geralt, Geralt hates beards. And so he hates facial hair. Yeah, so he always wants to be clean shaven, even though he looks badass with a beard. Yeah, he looks so good with a beard. He does. He's just more handsome. Like, he just looks amazing. And it's one of those like, okay, we can let it slide because he looks so good. A haircut and a shave, and General Mufrand Vuris grills Geralt about his decisions in The Witcher 2 and what happened at Loch Muin uh, with Triss, the Lodge, Letho, and even Sheila's fate. And I didn't play The Witcher 2 at this time, so I don't remember yeah. what the hell I did with any of these. They meant nothing to me. 
Oh, same. I was so lost at this point. I remember I, I was thinking because I had heard so much about how this game had important decisions um, that really affected your outcome. I was thinking, oh my God, are these the decisions? Like We're only like an hour into the game and I'm making all these important things because it was some of them were like Sheila's fate, like you said, did she die or did she get away? And so none of that made sense to me. And I haven't played this the first two games, so they still don't really make a lot of sense to me. But now at least I know that that's what that was. It was it was uh, reinforcing your decisions from the previous game had you played it. Okay, so do you know, do you know who Letho is? Yeah, so okay. I, I do. I did meet Letho in my playthrough. Oh, okay. So you you chose that he survived. That Geralt let him go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's in the next area, but something like that is really just cool and fun for them to put in where yeah. you can decide what happened at the end of last game. And then if you let him go, it, it does kind of matter because you can then run into him. Totally. This was like the first proper like open world single player game that I have played in a long, long time. And now like any other game I play, I'm like, well, it's not like this. It's not like The Witcher. So the person Geralt's talking to, though, um, Muvran Vuris. I always say that funny. Muvran, Morvran, something like that. strange one, isn't it? Yeah, he is. He did not appear in the books, but he is mentioned. And he will eventually, because in the books, a lot of times he'll put in this excerpt at the beginning that takes you 50 years in advance. And he will eventually be an emperor. There was this group of conspirators led by Stefan Skellen, and that guy should be in next season of The Witcher. I believe he shows up in the next book, and they haven't casted him, so he's going to show up. And him and this group try to conspire to overthrow Emir and put Muvaran on the throne as a child. Oh. Yeah, merchants, money, all that fun stuff. It's all that. There's a lot of Nilfgaardian politics goes back to this like guild of merchants. Hey, these wars are fucking up our money. We're going to get rid of you. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff they're talking about in there. Uh, but yeah, we get the shower. I'm sorry, we don't get the shower. We get the shave, and we get the haircut. Yeah. And then we learn how to bow. Did you did you bow correctly? I don't think I bowed correctly during the rehearsal bow. I think he makes you do it until you do it correctly, though, doesn't he? I thought you couldn't do it right. Because every time I did it, oh, he, really? he, every time, I swear, I never did it. And I tried to do it all different ways. And it's like, oh, okay. I guess that's just uncouth Geralt not being able to do it. Yeah, that's that's probably right. That would be it. I don't know. That would make sense because it's Geralt. But we learn <laughs> to do that as best we can. And then we are taken to Emir himself. And at this point, we can also choose to bow or not in front of him. Do you remember what you did there? I think I did bow. Okay. I mm. See, I bowed the first time because I didn't know any better. But yes, the, exactly. But the second playthrough when I knew the history, I'm like, Geralt ain't fucking bowing yeah. to Emir. No, I think I think I did the exact same. Yeah, you know, just like, he's not going to bow. And it's, I just love... Okay, so this is voiced by Charles Dance, and it's Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. I haven't the time to convince you, nor the desire, in fact. Yennefer will do that after the audience. How many men in your army? 20,000? 30? So why me? You know why. Because she trusts you. Isn't he... Doesn't he have the most recognizable, great voice ever? Like, as soon as I heard him speak, I knew it was him. See, and this is the thing, too. When I first played the game, I had not watched Game of Thrones. Oh, really? So, so this voice meant nothing to me. On the second playthrough, I was like, you're right. I had this just instantly. Tywin goes in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's the most authoritative, commanding yeah. voice it's it's amazing. And then we get this scene of dialogue between him and Geralt. And I think the, the guy, Doug Cockle, who does Geralt's voice is also just amazing. So like we get quite a nice long scene between them two. And it's just it's it's great. See, that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because he, he does a phenomenal job. It's amazing. One problem that I have with the portrayal of Geralt's I'm not monotone. It's I'm trying to think of what it is. Stoic. It's kind of mm. in that sense. And. Henry Cavill took that into the Witcher series. That's just not something I got from the books. Geralt will go on tangents and he gets mm -hmm. very emotional to where multiple people, not just Yen, but so many people are just like, man, you're just being kind of a little bitch right now. When I think of somebody sulking and doing that, I think of somebody who gets into things. Yes. And, like, but, and that's the people like, no, he's a witcher. He's not emotional. I'm like, but no, that's just the stereotype. Geralt is emotional. Geralt yeah. does care about what people think. He does have feelings. Like you said, when Doug Cockle gets into these moments, 
it's really good when he gets the sarcastic, like the quips mm -hmm. and shows that emotion. It's amazing. And it's just, man, I hope, well, I, I guess we'll never get another Witcher game with Geralt. We probably shouldn't because his story's kind of done. But it if is, somehow yeah. he ever does voice Geralt again, you know, get into it. Let me see some of that emotional pouty Geralt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the little jokes that he makes and like his sarcasm especially is so good. And I think, I hope we see a little bit more of that in season two of the Netflix series. I think we will. I, I haven't, I'm sure I heard someone saying something about Henry Cavill wanting to get a little bit more out of Geralt um, dialogue-wise this season. So hopefully we get a little bit more of that uh, banter. It, and it's stuff like that that gives me like a lot of hope and why I'm really interested to see it because, and I, I know I've said this before, I don't know if it was to you or if it was on a previous episode, that I'm actually not the biggest fan of his portrayal of Geralt because mm -hmm. it's too, you know, yeah. too grunty to that. And I'm like, no, Geralt's not this lone wolf badass. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and maybe they'll just tie it into he's with Siri now. Now he yeah. has a face to it. And when she's gone and she's in trouble, you know, it's time to come out. And he's going to go through hell and back for mm -hmm. Siri. No, I agree. So what the biggest thing to come out of this is Siri is back. And Geralt asks Emir, like, are you sure? And he's, bro, would I have you here <laughs> if I didn't yeah. know? None of us want to be here, but you're the best tracker I know. She loves you. I know that, again, based on previous things. And mm. she is being pursued by the Wild Hunt. And we know that basically from Yen. Geralt basically says, bring her to me. And he's like, why? You don't care, blah, blah, blah. Reasons of state. Which, yeah. if you don't know what that means, this is basically him saying, without saying it yet, he's going to groom her to be the empress. No, he, he's emotionless. Like, this is Emir. Yeah. He's not doing this because he loves her. Well, at this time, I should say that. You know, he's saying mm -hmm. she's back. He's in trouble. You know, that's another reason why. He, he needs somebody to succeed him. And well, I'm put again that some later. I we already talked that. It's a very brief meeting. I'm Amir. Yeah, we haven't seen each other in a long time. Uh, bring Siri to me. What if she doesn't want to come, or what if I don't uh, bring her here? He's like, well, I'll pay you, or you know, I just know you'll do it because you're, you're Geralt. That little moment uh, just kind of reiterated to me that for a moment I noticed, you know, he has that really bizarre painting of her on the wall. In the big poofy dress. With her pouting then, face. Yeah, like Yeah, yeah. and then he's he's trying to make Geralt bring her back so much. So I was like, Oh, maybe he does care. But then they put in that little for reasons of state just to kind of reiterate, oh no, he he he's not really a father figure at all. He's just he's business. And then again, we get this very cool moment where they're reunited and Yen says that she has been after Siri for months. And is the reason the Wild Hunt has tracked them. She's tried to lose them, but obviously, based on them just, you know, finding them, uh, she has not done it. But she now has to swallow her pride and find the best tracker she knows to find their daughter, and that's Geralt's. <laughs> yeah, she makes a point of um, saying that she's been using a lot of magic to try and find Ciri, which is what attracts the Wild Hunt. Um, I was glad they put that in because I was kind of confused as to how they how they were tracking and why they wouldn't just continue tracking. So I was quite happy that she said specifically it's because I've been using all this magic. So we need to go old school and do it the, the old fashioned way. And it's very true to Yen's character to not ask Geralt for help until she absolutely needed to. Yeah. <laughs> and together... They would do it. Because, again, going back to what we talked about with the amnesia and being gone, Geralt and Triss had a thing. That goes back to mm. Witcher 2, Witcher 1 and all that. And it's farther down the line where Yen and Geralt uh, can hash that out. But mm -hmm. she tells him that she has last really been spotted in Velen, far north Samaria, and Novigrad, southern Redania. They're kind of on the border. The Pontar River separates them. And also Skellige, in which she is going to go to Skellige and will meet him after he has some information. But start with Velen and meet with Henrik at the Inn at the Crossroads. Uh, we, we can get a ton of information here. We meet with this magistrate that this region of Velen that is, again, in Upper Temeria, that the Nilfgaardian army just blitzed through, got all the way to the Pontar, pretty much kind of conquered, but then it kind of had a little stalemate. The winter yeah. came in, 
basically Radovid, this Redanian king, is the really the only threat left because all the other ones are dead because of the Witcher 2. They all died. And mm-hmm. then Kedwin, King Henselt, he dies at the Witcher 2. I think he I think he might have a decision whether he dies or not. Um I think you let uh, Vernon Roach, I think, kill him or whatever. But if he's not dead in the game, he's dead by now. And then Radovan invades his ally in Kedwin and basically unites the north. So at this point right now, it is the, quote, northern realms, which is basically Radovid, and then yeah. Nilfgaard. And then Skellige's over chilling on the isles. So Skellige is kind of a impartial, right? They just stick to their own their own thing. Skellige just raids... And they raid. They just raid kind of everybody, and they generally raid Nilfgaard because it's too far like away for them. But yeah, that's pretty much. Mm-hmm. Skellige is just the pirates. The hey, they like, kind of Northern reminded Irish. me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They kind of reminded me of like the wildlings from Game of Thrones, and that they've got all their different clans, and they they don't necessarily all get along, but they just sort of stick to themselves. Yeah, it's very much yeah the wildling in that sense, like old Gaelic kind of Celtic things you yeah. can use like viking scandinavian they actually call them jarls so it's a direct viking and they talk mm-hmm. about them raiding and i know some of the like gwent artwork horns which was not a viking thing vikings yeah. never had horns on their helmets it just looks cool mm-hmm. and that's basically what they do is they just kind of raid out there and it was hilarious to me that this guy actually called skellige a footnote to history and will remain that way <laughs> <laughs> they're so insignificant like we just don't care about them let them raid our coasts uh, like Sintra, they would kind of go down Sintra a lot. That's, you know, um, mm-hmm. the marriage, old Calantha, yep. and Iced, you know, they kind of just sail right up the river there. And so that that's why that, that was such a big alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Nilfgaard invasions bogged down. There was a massive battle that was just catastrophic on both sides. And it's just the stalemates. And we'll see that, you know, when we start in Velen in particular, that it's just the swamp that they're just nothing. It's just a quagmire kind of stalemate of a war. And that's really where yeah. kind of Emir is in trouble now. It's because of that. Mm-hmm. So the, the the war, like you say, has sort of come to this stalemate. And then my understanding of it is Novigrad is kind of the key. So they're both kind of wanting to control Novigrad. Is that is that right? Yeah, so Novigrad is a free city. So mm. it is what you could think of, I would say, it's like a city-state. Think of like Venice or Genoa yes. in the Middle Ages. It's very rich. It's very wealthy. Uh, it's run by the Church of the Eternal Fire and like the criminal syndicates, which will be a fun thing to really delve into because I love that. I love Novigrad. Like mm-hmm. I can't wait till we get to Novigrad. I'm just gonna geek out on like everything there. Like it's <laughs> it's amazing. But so it's this free city, but it's very much Redanian dominated. It's yeah. right there. The river separates them from Tamaria, and then Redania goes right up there. It's this free city, but as he mentions here, it's how much more free can it be because if you take it over that's a lot of wealth a lot of ships yeah. uh, like the port and all that to do it so that's yeah. where we find Radovid, isn't it he he's on a boat there right is he's on the boat outside oxenfurt right oh is that where it is i yeah. can't never remember which i always think i end up going the wrong way to find him See, I, I always think, think he's in them yeah i think it's oxenfurt because that is in redania that would make sense yeah where the university is i'm pretty sure that's where I, yeah i always get those kind of confused too because they look so similar they do, like yeah. Like the docks kind of look similar, but I'm pretty sure that's Oxenford, which the only thing I might love more than Novigrad in this game is Oxenford. <laughs> I, I just I just want to live there. Is that where you would live if you were to go and live on the continent? Where, is that where you'd live? 100% is Oxenford. Yeah. And I'm just literally just studying history at the academy and mm-hmm. I'm drinking <laughs> in the taverns and I'm just being drunk on the dock. Oh yeah, oh my God. Like right now, I just I just want to live there. Yeah, I think I would have to be in Skellige somewhere. Really? Not too cold? You yeah. like the cold? I don't mind the cold. I'm okay. used to it, yeah. I, I just feel you, like yeah. they're, they're my people. Oh, you're right. You're right. I I say that, you know, my dumbass in Texas. Yeah, we're cold. Yeah, it's just cold as hell. What's the temperature right now? Oh, God. I don't know. Uh, okay. Let me see. It's cold anyway because we're getting into It's like really dark now, Um, really early in the evenings. Oh, that's it's right. eight degrees. Which I don't know what that is. Fahrenheit. Oh, I- <laughs> I don't know what it is. is. (laughs) We're going to have so many of these issues. Even earlier when you were saying herbalist, I was just quietly laughing. (laughs) Oh, is it a herbalist? I say herbalist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Okay. So it is 80 degrees where I'm at and that is 27 Celsius. Is it? Yeah. 
Oh shit. Yeah. So it's if it was that temperature here right now, we'd all oh my god, that we would be having a meltdown. Oh my god, an eighty is so perfect. Yeah. Oh, it is so it is so nice. But we all have air conditioning, so we're used to it. It's it's fucking Texas. Yeah. Why why are we living in Texas? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we, <laughs> we went off on a little tangent there, uh, which we're going to do. We're going to do that a lot. So, yeah, as we kind of jump back and forth. But I believe the last thing to really go over here is this guy basically says Velen is run or dominated by a guy named Philip Stringer, known by his nom de guerre, the Bloody Baron. That's all we get from him there, isn't it? That's sort of our introduction. And he says, take my advice and avoid him. Yeah, there's a warlord named the Bloody Baron. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't want to talk to that guy. No, I don't want to go anywhere near him. All right, so one thing we're going to do at the end of the episode is have this segment called Our Corners. And until we think of a better name or somebody <laughs> out there suggests a better name, in which uh, I am all ears, basically just going to briefly bring up something that we are currently into or that is piquing our interest. And uh, Lucy, what is that for you? So I have been spending a lot of time playing a new game recently. Well, it's not a new game. It's a new game to me. Uh, it's Alien Isolation. Um, it's something that I decided to play uh, like around Halloween time and I'm still playing it. And I don't know if anyone listening has played it before, but it's a, it's a game based off the Alien films. And it's honestly one of the best games I've ever played and I didn't expect to like it. Because I'm not into horror, I'm not into thriller or anything like that. I don't like to be scared. Um, but I decided to give this a go and it's one of the most immersive experiences I've had in a game. And it's one of those games as well where you can you can select options to let it hear your microphone. And I don't even have that switched on and I or I still feel like I am there in it. And it's one of those things you know, I need to do a bit of research on it because if the people who did the sound in this game didn't get any awards, it's an absolute travesty. Have you ever played it? No, and I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been... It's so scary. It's scary, but I can do jump scares. It's not my thing, but like yeah. I can do jump scares. It's nothing. It's anxiety that gets to me. Yeah. And I've watched you play this because like you said, you've been streaming it. Mm -hmm. And... I'm just like, no. And then the other day I came back because I had it up and I went and was doing something. And I came back and this cyborg looking crash test dummy zombie guy was just like following you, like Horrible. walking. You remember that? Yeah, I do. And I don't know what's worse in the game than obviously you've got the alien, which is the main uh, bad guy. But then you've got these androids Crash test dummy is a really good way of putting it, actually. That's exactly what they look like. But the worst thing about them is sometimes they're okay with you, they're cool with you, and sometimes they will kill you. And it's the not knowing. So every time I'm like creeping up to one, I'm like, is he friendly, is he friendly? And then his eyes turn red and you've just got to run. But you couldn't... I didn't see... You could. You, you kept shooting it. And it kept yeah. coming. And then you're just like, oh my God, what do I do? And you're checking your map and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, no... <laughs> No, just like this is just too anxious. And it's then when I looked so up, anxious. somehow you killed it. How did you kill it? I think we ended up. See, the the thing with this is you've you've got to kill him because he will just keep following you and keep following you. But if you shoot him, then the alien hears you and the alien will come and kill oh. you. So you've got to find a way of either running away from the android or we figured out that you can stun it. So you have this, like, I think it's called a stun baton or baton. Um, and you can stun it and then run away. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I didn't think I would enjoy it. And when I'm finished with it, I'll be glad. But I am, <laughs> I am enjoying it. And I say it all the time on my stream, like, I would never play this by myself. I, I'm only streaming this. I won't be playing it in my own time. <laughs> I mean, I've only heard like great things about it, but I will let you and the other people who enjoy <laughs> that anxiety, y'all can have it. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I'll stick to stupid card games and <laughs> other <laughs> old GTA stuff like that. How about a round of Gwent? There you go. Okay, so <laughs> what I had, it's a Hulu show called Only Murders in the Building. It came out several months ago, and it's been over... For at least like a month or whatever. But I love whodunits. I love old film noir. My favorite mm -hmm. movies are basically from like the 1940s. 
and it's the old know. like hard-boiled detectives you know like maltese falcon uh like yep. casablanca is not like a whodunit but just stuff like that i love old movies type uh type movies like that and steve martin and martin short are in this and they're both like in their 70s but these are two people who were like the biggest names in like the 80s and 90s like comedic wise and they haven't really been around and they kind of teamed up to do this and selena gomez is in it as well and those are like the three hey. And mm -hmm. those three, oh my God, those three chemistry are so good. And it's the right amount of lightheartedness, but mm. really kind of hitting on like the character moments that it's one of those, you know, you're 10 minutes into an episode and you're just laughing and having fun. And like 15 minutes in the episode, you're having like an existential crisis in your own life, thinking about something because something that got brought up. And then, you know, 10 minutes after that, you're back to having fun again. And maybe that's the kind of anxiety and horror that I like. Yeah. <laughs> it's stuff like that. But it's, again, it's very lighthearted. It's a mystery. So if you're into mysteries out there, yeah. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's uh, eight episodes. I think they're 30 to 35 minutes each. You can I like that. Yeah, you I can like binge it all now. Episode. Yeah. Literally, it's an afternoon to an evening. You can watch it all. You don't have to do it week by week like I did trying to figure stuff out, which is a lot of fun mm. for me. I kind of like that, like yeah. armchair detective work. But uh, do you... <laughs> Have you ever seen like any de detective or whodunits? Is that your thing? We have a series here. Um, I don't know if you will have seen it. It's called Line of Duty. No. Have you heard of that? So it's like a British um, detective series um, and it's all about uh, corrupt police. Um, so I quite like that because it's someone on the inside that's doing the sort of orchestrating the um, criminals um so trying to figure out like who's that who that was oh like, okay series. so so good it's it's amazing there's i think there's like six seasons it's recently finished um but that i i love that so much so i might have to give this a watch i've never heard of hulu though is that just like another netflix yeah it's uh you know what maybe they might not have it like over there yeah maybe it's... they have i might just not okay. have heard of it I want to say for some reason, I think it's tied to NBC. Maybe they own it, but it's got like yeah. older TV shows, but you can get like live TV. But this mm -hmm. isn't the live TV part. This is just to pay, you know, 10 or $12 a month. Right. Uh, and you get other stuff in there like King of the Hill, which King of the Hill is a <laughs> Texas show, an animated show about like Texas in the 90s. So is it? It, it is. And it's it is so accurate. It mm. really is. They talk about restaurants in it. I'm like, holy shit. We went to that restaurant like every week. <laughs> but it's just like a Texas thing. This is Poncho's Mexican Buffet. All right, so that's going to do it for the inaugural episode of On the Path. You can find us on Twitter at WitcherPodcast or email us at WitcherPod at gmail.com. Lucy, where can we find you? Uh, so I am Lucy J. Robin on pretty much everything. Twitter, Instagram, and mainly Twitch. All right, and we'll also put in your Discord link oh, uh, yeah. at the bottom because, yeah, you got a really active Discord. A lot of UK people that <laughs> I just, mm -hmm. I don't know. I've just always had, I guess you call me an Anglophile. I always watched BBC when I was a kid, and <laughs> Faulty Towers was like the thing that got me into British humor. Next week, we will see you as we begin Act One and meet up with the Bloody Baron and the King of the Wolves.